0: You're listening to A Strange Arrangement.
1: That is Hot Cross Buns. Seventeen humble, uncomplicated notes. No embellishments. No tricks. Usually not even harmony. More of a moment than a tune. But in most American classrooms, this song is the student's first major milestone. These 17 notes stand between the young music learner with plastic recorder in hand and the simple yet cherished phrase, I can play a song, where students see the gravity of their unlocked potential. Then you get older and you forget about it, or you resign it to forever being a a song for children, kid stuff. I'll admit it. That's what I did. I was afraid to send the song to guests because I thought it was so simple and so short, and maybe it would be too limiting for an interesting arrangement. So I moved on. I went looking for other more interesting songs. So then, out of the blue, totally unprompted, I get an email from James Fernando. who was one of the guests from season one, and he said, "Hey, I made this arrangement of Hot Cross Buns for my new album coming out. Do you want to talk about it maybe on your podcast?" And he sent it to me. And I listened to it and I said, yes, absolutely, because we need to talk about this. We need to talk about how he went from this to this. Like, what? So between living in two different cities and having drastically different schedules, it was tricky planning a face-to-face meeting where we could talk about it. But I managed to catch him at Kramer's Bookstore, which is my favorite place for books, drinks, and jazz, and where I've already talked to another guest on the show. He was in town rehearsing for a new musical production about a local D.C. music teacher called Dear Mr. Duncan. We grabbed a table in the back corner, James with his collapsible bicycle, me with my unruly tangle of microphones and wires. So you're gonna hear like dishes and chatter in the background, and you're gonna hear one really excited baby. So, so you've got these. <laughs> but I'm happy to share this place and this conversation with you. And if you do find yourself there, definitely get the French soda. I'm telling you, it, it is to die for. Okay, enough about that. Here's my conversation with James Fernando on his
0: arrangement of hot cross buns. All right. Hello, my name is James Fernando. I'm a pianist, composer, and electronic musician based in Philadelphia. Used to live in D.C. for a few years, which I believe is how Rob and I got acquainted. And I have my fifth album, Piano Poetry, coming out on Friday, February 3rd, 2023. And the first track, or one of the first tracks, is Hot Cross Buns, which is what we're here to talk about.
1: And we are here at Kramer's in DuPont Circle in DC. All by ourselves. All by ourselves, (laughs) not a soul. It's a ghost town here. Um, But yeah, thank you for meeting me here in the, the midst of your busy performing, rehearsing schedule.
0: It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Asked you to come down and talk about this one because you just sent it to me, unprompted and it's it's hot cross buns of all things it's just 17 notes alone usually without harmony so what was what was the impetus for taking this of all things and turning it into this full-blown like full score difficult piano arrangement
0: i've always been really interested in finding intrigue and beauty in things that we would often just gloss over and I think Hot Cross Buns is one of those pieces you know you pick up an instrument it's it's likely the very first thing that you might learn how to play given that it only contains three notes it's this nursery rhyme we've all heard a thousand times and most people you know you see something like that and you write it off and I wanted to take on the challenge of, of reimagining it. I think, perhaps, some of, in, in the back of my head, I was thinking a little bit of Mozart's "Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars" arrangement. I always found that really fascinating for much the same reasons. My Hot Cross Buns is a whole lot shorter, and it also uses a lot more modern techniques.
1: And that brings up an excellent point, too, because a lot of people might not know that Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star was a Mozart piece, and it's that theme, and then he does 12 variations on it, which are faster and slower and minor key and triplet feel. Um, So when you created this arrangement, it felt a lot like theme and variations, with a more modern twist on uh, that style of writing but was that is that what you were going for? Is that kind of the idea of the piece?
0: To me, almost all music is already theme and variations. You know, if we just take the, you know, without listening to my version, the version of Hot Cross Buns that we're all familiar with, I think the theme is stated in the first three notes. It's repeated in the next three notes. And then when we get to one a penny Two a penny, that is certainly a variation on you know outside of the lyrics of course it's a variation on that initial statement in that it's retrograde and now we've got some repeated notes instead and i think most music is theme and variations in in that way and that we're f- taking motifs and developing them and and creating a narrative with these melodies in terms of form i was also i think getting some inspiration from fugues. it's This work is kind of fugal in nature in that, you know, that statement is made in, the, in one voice and then a second voice enters and makes the same statement, then a third voice enters and makes the same statement. Meanwhile, the voices that we're already in continue to develop and, you know, create this whirlwinds around the actual theme, which is present throughout. But again, I liked to make it a little bit more modern, and I also try not to follow the rules too carefully. If you dive into some of these little details here, you'll see that you know maybe I set up a pattern, and then I, I take a left turn from that pattern not because I didn't know how to keep the pattern going, but because I thought I could breathe a little bit more life into the music by straying away from it and and keeping an element of spontaneity. And I like to think of form in much the same way, that it's, it's really important to me in the amount that, or in the sense that having a form creates an organization and helps you structure a narrative arc to a piece but I don't feel like I need to follow any specific form very carefully. You're talking about these different lines and these
1: voices and talking about a fugue, which Mm -hmm. is this contrapuntal music, uh, most famously written by Bach, which is tremendously difficult because you have these different melody lines coming in and doing different things simultaneously. And you only have so many fingers. Yes, yes and you're trying to balance all of this going on, and you have a very similar thing going on um, in a very odd time, no less. And the last episode we were on, we talked a lot about voice leading, specifically chordal voice leading, which is like this note leads more naturally to this note or like kind of the chords flowing together with the melody. Sure. This is more extreme this is you have these different melodic pieces repeating and they relate to the chord structure that you have cuz the chords don't really change too much there's i think there's variations on them mm-hmm. or extensions on them um but your voice leading how does how do you get all these different melodic parts these different voices that are happening at the same time to balance and work together.
0: I think part of that happens organically in when you impose two structures upon each other, there's a part of us as humans that want to put those things together. I think if you and I decided to count down from three and make two noises that we were gonna then repeat over and over, it might not sound good, but we'd start to hear how they come together and we'd, the way they interact would begin to make sense. I think that is just part of how we hear music. As far as other aspects of it, I'm always looking towards cadences. I think of music as, as being lots of tensions and releases, be they melodic, harmonic, rhythmic, metric, There's a few other, you know, routes we could go down. All of the great composers I've noticed create forward motion. Brahms especially, he's the guy who I, you know, had a eureka moment when I was studying a Brahms intermezzo. Where they're aware of all of these various tensions and they release them all, but at different points in time. So the only time where all of the various tensions and releases that you could imagine sync up is the final note, because that's when you no longer have any forward motion. So if you're looking at measure 33, for example, this section, the third eight measure section, I set up this uh, four over five rhythm, where we've got groupings of three eighth notes plus an eighth rest. And then on top of that, that rhythm is grouped into groupings of four. And what that does is that creates an expectation that this story is gonna keep going. And this is sort of you know, a side narrative to the main story where you're still invested in that as a listener and that is pulling it forward. And we can resolve it somewhat in that we have rhythmic resolution at the same time that we have harmonic resolution, but if you look in measure, uh, what would that be? 47, where that figure, that four over three, or four over five figure ends, it resolves harmonically to C major, but in first inversion. And first inversion is not as true of a release as root position. And so we still want to hear it continue. And to me, that's what I'm always considering is how are all of these voices interacting and what are the various tensions and releases that they're creating and trying to be aware of as much of it as possible in order to create music that moves forward, that still resolves enough that you're, you're invested.
1: And just to be clear, when you your arrangement is in five... Yes, five, four, five eight. that's five how eight. I wrote it, yeah, yeah <laughs> when yeah. you put pen to paper, it was exactly it, it's the the first theme comes in four, four, yep, and then the variations are all five eight
0: yeah, and I think you're you're probably wondering, or I, I'm kind of insinuating that maybe I don't actually feel it that way, <laughs> and the way I feel it. Is different than the way it's going to look neatest on paper. To me, I feel it still in four-four, but with every measure being one beat, and then the quintuplet would just be the subdivision. So I'm I'm feeling one, two, three, four, one, two, three, really? four, okay, three,
1: four, and that goes back to like how you feel the music as opposed to how it was written because last i know last last time i talked to you i got very hung up on like what was on the page as opposed to like how you feel the music and you have these like four over five three note sections that are when you get to that variation i'm not just counting in five as I'm listening to it. I mean, I am, so mm-hmm. that I can, okay, where's the one? Where are we going to land? But that's not how I move to it while listening to it. Mm. You give each voice kind of its own life.
0: That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. So to, to me, I, I think it's, it's always anchored within that 4-4 four, four, uh, subdivided into quintuplet. Feeling, and then there's all these rhythmic illusions that I I use. So, in the you know the first eight measures is as you said, it feels like it's in four four. It's funny the way I wrote it. I wrote it in five eight with a, <laughs> a two over five, <laughs> but it just makes it feel like <laughs> quarter notes or eighth <laughs> notes, depending on how you're feeling it. Um, Then the second eight measures, we get into that quintuplet feel. It, it, It makes it all wonky and groovy. The third eight measures, we have that four over five feeling. The fourth section, we then have a three over five rhythm that sort of cuts through it, and we get invested in that narrative as well. Then the fifth section... Uh, we have groupings of seven, which just extends that, that cross rhythm even further. And then I bring it back down, and, and in, that, in those last two sections, we're just very tied to that groove that I'm always feeling it in, even though there's these other grooves that are implied over top of it. I, I guess one thing I, I always feel the need to remind myself of this when i get into these very academic conversations even you know in my own head is that it just has to feel good you know and and to me you can you can quantify academically a lot of things that feel good right i think these cross rhythms feel really cool i think they're really exciting which is why i was exploring them a lot but when it comes to how I make all these decisions and how I would suggest you know, other composers who are up and coming to make similar decisions or different decisions is just, you know, does it feel good, does it sound good, and does it fit the aesthetic that you're going for? And to me, those considerations are always going to trump how much or how cool I think something is conceptually.
1: And now, here's the whole arrangement. today because I want to put this episode out soon so I can give listeners a chance to know about your new project your new album coming out very soon would you talk about that
0: absolutely Uh, so the album is called piano poetry and it features not just hot cross buns but also another arrangement from a strange arrangement We've got Auld Lang Syne on there. And then I've got eight, I believe, of my piano poems, which are just really short pieces. And then on top of all of these short piano pieces, we've got a handful of collaborations. So I have one with my friend Phoenix Lazar that came out already. That is called Silhouette of Scars. Phoenix is someone who I met up or when I went to college at Berklee College of Music, and now she lives in Salt Spring Island, which is off the west coast of Canada. I've got a song out with Kathy Fink and Tom Paxton, some folk legends. Uh, that one's already out as a single, and then a handful of other collaborations with a lot of my favorite artists in my circle. I'm, I'm very excited to share this music.
1: And I'm very excited to listen to it immediately as soon as it comes out and i can't wait to hear these arrangements on there and i'm i'm very you're a part of the project I too know. <laughs> that blows my mind and i'm very honored that i got to be adjacent to this project that you're working on and i'm very Oh you you're not
0: adjacent you're in it
1: <laughs> James thank you very much this is oh, awesome Oh it's
0: my pleasure thank you Rob thank you
1: Strange Arrangement was produced by me, Rob McCarthy. I edit and mix the show, and I wrote our theme music. Our artwork was done by Daniel Joel Newman, and you can find more of his work at danieljoelnewman.com. Special thanks to Elizabeth Stahl for notes and for that voice that you hear at the beginning of the show. And be sure to check out our website, asamusicpodcast.com, for sheet music, artist bios, and ways that you can get in touch with us. James's album Piano Poetry is available now, so check that out wherever you stream music. On February 7th on his website, his sheet music will be available too, so go to jamesfernando.com for that. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: crowd goes wild they're a fan they're a fan <laughs> they love it